Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 7th. In today's news, some White House aides resign in protest as others discuss the 25th Amendment. Joe Biden taps Merrick Garland for attorney general after Democrats win control of the Senate. And yesterday was the deadliest day yet of the pandemic, as nearly 4,000 Americans died from COVID. But first, the big idea. Shaken and angry following the violent assault on our nation's capital by a mob of President Trump's supporters, lawmakers in Congress put a final stamp on Joe Biden's victory at 3.44 a.m., nearly 21 hours after the proceedings began in what may be remembered as one of the darkest days in U.S. history. Republicans at one point planned to object to the Electoral College votes in a series of states won by Biden, but after the storming of the Capitol, several senators changed course, disputing only Arizona and Pennsylvania. Both challenges failed. Shortly after Congress affirmed Biden's win, the White House issued a statement in which the president pledged a, quote, orderly transition, but stopped short of conceding or congratulating Biden. In the final moments of the joint session, Senate Chaplain Barry Black said a prayer lamenting what he called the desecration of the United States Capitol building, the shedding of innocent blood, the loss of life, and the quagmire of dysfunction that threaten our democracy. As Vice President Pence gaveled the meeting to a close, the Democrats present gave only a half-hearted show of applause. The lawmakers convened last night in a show of defiance. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi consulted with fellow congressional leaders, the Pentagon, the Justice Department, and Pence before concluding that Congress should move ahead with the ceremony that was interrupted earlier in the day by rioters who were incited to action by Trump himself during a rally. As lawmakers returned from hours of sheltering in place, the tone of the debate turned far more somber and impassioned than before the interruption. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the rioters had tried to disrupt democracy, but they failed. Mitt Romney earned sustained applause from his colleagues for a thundering speech in which he said elected leaders should show respect for voters by telling them the truth, not fueling groundless doubts about the election. At one point early this morning, the raw emotions nearly sparked a physical confrontation on the House floor. After Congressman Connor Lamb, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, accused Republicans of willfully peddling falsehoods about election fraud, there was an exchange of words between Republicans and Democratic members sitting behind Lamb that nearly led to blows before aides intervened and separated the members. Ultimately, the Senate rejected a challenge to Arizona's electoral votes by 93 to 6 and the House by 303 to 121. On the one hand, those are lopsided margins, but put another way, 121 Republican members in the House and six members of the Senate voted overnight to disenfranchise millions of people in a bid primarily to appeal to Trump and his loyalists. There is no evidence of widespread fraud. None. House members also objected when Pence read the tallies from Georgia, Michigan, and Nevada, but those challenges died when no senators joined them. After midnight, a challenge to Pennsylvania's count led by Missouri Senator Josh Hawley prompted the two chambers to break apart again and consider that state's votes. It failed by a similar margin. The ceremonial reading of the electoral votes had only recently begun at about 1 p.m. when hundreds of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol in what amounted 
to an attempted coup that they hoped, and they said this, would overturn the results of the election, which Trump lost. By day's end, four people would be dead. In the chaos, one woman was shot and killed by Capitol Police. Three others died of medical emergencies. In total, 14 D.C. police officers were injured yesterday by the Trump mob as they tried to restore order. Two officers are seriously injured in the hospital this morning. The would-be saboteurs of our 244-year-old democracy literally replaced American flags on the Capitol and raised blue Trump flags. This is our national temple of democracy. Canisters of tear gas were fired across the rotunda's white marble floor. The images of some congressional offices that were ransacked are horrifying. One of the offices that was breached was Speaker Nancy Pelosi's. Security forces were not able to fully regain control of the Capitol complex and give the all clear until shortly after 8 p.m. For more than six hours, the Capitol was unsecured. And IEDs were discovered outside the RNC and DNC headquarters. Thankfully, they were neutralized by FBI bomb squads. Yesterday could have been much worse, but it didn't have to happen. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, three senior White House officials are considering resigning this morning. Deputy National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, and Deputy White House Chief of Staff Chris Lydell. Yesterday, Deputy White House Press Secretary Sarah Matthews resigned, saying she was, quote, deeply disturbed by the insurrection. And two top aides to First Lady Melania Trump, Chief of Staff Stephanie Grisham and White House Social Secretary Anna Nasita, also abruptly quit in what advisors to the president interpreted as a sign of their disapproval of the day's events. One administration official described Trump's private behavior yesterday as that of a monster and said the situation inside at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue was, quote, insane and totally beyond the pale. Fearful that if Trump remains in office, even for 13 days, he could take more actions that would further cause violence and death. My colleagues, Phil Rucker, Josh Dossie, Shane Harris, and Ashley Parker report that senior administration officials were discussing late last night whether the cabinet might invoke the 25th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to force the president out. A former senior administration official who's been briefed on these talks confirmed that preliminary discussions about using the 25th are underway, although this person cautioned that they are informal and that there's no indication of an immediate plan of action. People who interacted with Trump himself yesterday said they found him in a fragile and emotionally volatile state. He spent the afternoon and evening cocooned, listening to only a small coterie of dead-ender loyalists, someone who was in the room with him told our reporters that he was hesitant to condemn the mob because he saw them as his people who were there to support him. White House aides tried to get Trump to call into Fox News to tell people to go home, but he refused. He at first didn't want to say anything. He was ultimately persuaded to send some tweets later in the afternoon. Then staff scripted a video for him to record, which he agreed to post on Twitter. But the president then ad-libbed by including a bunch of references to false voter fraud claims that They had asked him not to include, but he insisted be in it. This administration official described Trump as so mad at Pence that he couldn't see straight. Trump's fury extended to Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. The president told aides that he wanted to bar Short, who was with the vice president all day at the Capitol, from the White House grounds. 
Short told others he wouldn't care if he's barred. Twitter yesterday locked Trump out of his account for 12 hours and removed three tweets because they were so misleading. The platform also warned that the president may be subject to a permanent suspension if he continues tweeting baseless conspiracy theories and inciting violence. Facebook followed suit, blocking the president's account for the first time for 24 hours for what it said were two policy violations, although it didn't threaten permanent suspension. It also said that it's blocking his Facebook-owned Instagram account. Number two, after Democrats were declared the winners in both of those Georgia Senate races on Tuesday, Biden nominated Merrick Garland to be his attorney general. Garland, the chief judge on the D.C. Circuit, which is the second most important court right after the Supreme Court, is best known for being nominated to replace Antonin Scalia in 2016 and never getting a hearing. Biden wanted to pick him for DOJ, but he had been concerned that Mitch McConnell wouldn't let him fill the judicial vacancy that would open up if Garland resigned. Now he'll be able to do so because Chuck Schumer is going to become majority leader. Biden advisors view Garland as well-suited to restore norms of non-political decision-making at the Justice Department, given his track record as a judge and his tenure in the Justice Department during the Clinton administration. Winning both of those Georgia races is going to allow Biden to advance much more of his agenda than was thought possible before, but the razor-thin Senate margin, it's going to be 50-50 with Kamala Harris casting the tie-breaking vote as vice president, made it clear that his options will still be severely limited raising the risk that this new landscape will create expectations and pressure that he's not going to be able to meet. Most immediately, though, Biden is promising additional help to struggling families by providing $2,000 relief checks. Other items that may suddenly acquire new life because of the Democratic majority are Biden's plans to expand the Affordable Care Act, launch a major infrastructure program, fight climate change, and reform the criminal justice system. Still, most bills require 60 votes to pass. Number three. Well, everyone was focused on the mob violence here in our nation's capital. Wednesday was the deadliest day yet of the pandemic. At least 3,915 of our fellow Americans died from the virus, and we continued to break new records for case numbers and hospitalizations. Worst of all, the mutant variant of the virus first seen in Britain is now believed to be increasingly present across the United States. It may become significantly more common in coming weeks, according to a new CDC advisory. A more transmissible virus could drive more patients into hospitals and ultimately boost the death toll. It could also prolong the march toward herd immunity. The CDC also said yesterday that allergic reactions to the new coronavirus vaccines that have been approved are rare. Of the 1.9 million people who received a shot during the first two weeks of vaccination, just 21 of them, 21 of 1.9 million, experienced severe allergic reactions. Most of those people had a history of allergic reactions, and 20 of the 21 have fully recovered. Given the small risk of severe allergic reaction and its treatable nature, the risk of catching the coronavirus and becoming severely ill or dying far outweighs that of a potential allergic reaction. Meanwhile, the vaccine rollout continues to be a mess. The latest figures show that more than 17 million doses of the two vaccines have been distributed, but only about 4.8 million doses have been administered. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 7th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.